Good afternoon. It is indeed a blessing that God has given us to be together uh, and, and to praise him, to spend time in studying his word together. If your Bibles aren't already open to John chapter 18, uh, sorry, Jeremiah chapter 18, uh, go ahead and turn over there with me now. God's word is full with illustrations um, from the Old Testament to the parables in the New Testament that are intended to bring spiritual truths to life for us. Uh, and one image that we see here in Jeremiah chapter 18 is this idea of clay and the potter's hands. As we're going to sing after this lesson, some of our songs focus on this imagery. And we generally think of this, this picture of being clay in the potter's hands as a picture of great comfort. God's in control. He is there to, to mold, to guide. But I think as we read Jeremiah 18 and we see this illustration uh, in its context here, we see that this is also a challenging illustration. Uh, that God is really urging Israel to be moldable in his hands, to be submissive. Uh, read with me again verse 4 and 5 of what Luke read for us. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 18, starting in verse 4, it says, And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. What does God mean by that question? Can I not do with you as the potter has done with this clay? In some senses, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is obviously yes, God is able to do that. Yes, God has that power, but he's posing the question to them. I think an implication here is, will you let me do what the potter has done with this clay? And so I want us to look at this illustration um, from, from a few different perspectives today, uh, making application in some different areas of our lives. And I want us to ask that question to ourselves. What, what if you replaced the name House of Israel here with your name? Verse 6, O Grady Huggins, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O Grady Huggins. I think if we seek to make application of this illustration to ourselves, the first thing that we need to recognize is that just as the clay was in this potter's hands, so are we in God's hands. And part of what that means in this context is just as the clay was spoiled, was flawed, was marred in the hand of the potter, so Israel, and yes, us as well, are spoiled in the hand of the potter. We need to recognize that we cannot mold our own lives. Earlier in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23, as Jeremiah is contrasting um, the attitude of those who have been following idols and the judgment coming upon them, uh, he says in Jeremiah 10 and verse 23, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Jeremiah is recognizing here what all of Israel needed to recognize, 
that it is not within us. It's not within our power to direct our own steps. It's not within our control to mold our lives. We are not the potter. We don't have the wisdom or the strength to guide our own lives. We are not qualified or capable to chart our own path in life. We need God to mold us. In Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 25, we're told there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You know, it's very natural to think that we have things figured out, that that we can guide our own lives, we can guide our own steps, that we have it all under control. And in fact, this is what the world encourages us to do. Be true to yourself. Believe in yourself. Follow your heart. Do what feels right. Well, Jeremiah tells us more than once in his book, that is not the way that we need to go. The heart is very deceptive. The way that seems right to us is a way that ends in death. And when we look at the world around us, we can see the results of that philosophy of being the masters of our own destiny, of controlling our own lives, well, the world is very broken as a result of that. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7 and in verse 13, he talks about the the narrow way that leads to life. And in verse 13, he says, the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. That, That way that ends in death, the way that seems right to us, well, that's the direction that, the majority of the world is going to be going and that we ourselves uh, may be going. But what that results in when we follow our own feelings, what seems right to us is broken relationships, broken homes, uh, empty promises of fulfillment, addiction. We see that sin leaves us unfulfilled. In James chapter 1, if you want to turn over there with me for a moment, James chapter 1, James talks as well about following our own desires and where that leads to. James chapter 1, starting in verse 14, says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Brethren, this is what happens when we follow what seems best to us. Our desires, what feels right, well, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, ends in death, as we saw earlier. Our lust will draw us away. They'll ensnare us. They will grow until they have drowned us in our sin. And so we cannot mold our own lives. It is not within us to direct our own steps. And ultimately, we have all tried to do that. We have all tried and failed to be the potters of our own lives. Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were created as God's masterpiece to reflect his image and his character But because we trusted in our own hearts, because we trusted in our own wisdom, we have ruined, we have spoiled what was in the hand of the potter. We have fallen short of the glorious image that God created us to be. We've broken his perfect image within us. In the context of Romans 3, uh, 
Romans 3, verse 10 through 12, we read about the world from God's perspective. In verse 10, it says, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We've all turned aside from God's guidance. We've all rejected his molding hand within our life. We followed our own understanding, and we see that no one understands. No one has the wisdom. Nobody has charted the correct path towards God on their own. We've tried and we failed. And so he says that we've all become useless, that we've all become Worthless. In our current state, being spoiled, ruining God's perfect within us, we no longer have any value within ourselves. The only value is the potential value that, of God restoring us. And this isn't what God created us to be, but this is what we have created ourselves to be. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 29, we read, Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. Our, our sin, our ruin, our spoiling is something of our own devising, of our own creation. God's creation of man in the beginning was perfect and good. And do you remember in what Luke read for us there back in Jeremiah 18? That this section is really a statement of judgment. Because we see only a few verses later that Israel is not going to let God mold them. In verse 12 of Jeremiah 18, it says, But they say, that is vain. We will follow our own plans, and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Now, I'm not sure that they were as, as hardened to actually let those words come out of their lips, but Jeremiah knows what's in their hearts. And Jeremiah is saying what their true attitude is. I think we need to challenge ourselves. Is, is that our thinking? You know, sometimes we, um, we encourage this self-confidence, being a self-made man, right? Pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Well, a self-made man in the scriptures is a ruined man. If we follow our own plans, it's not going to be what God wants us to be. And so we need to recognize the utter insufficiency of our wisdom, of our guidance and direction. Jeremiah 18 is not the only place that we see this illustration. Um, look in Isaiah chapter 29 with me for a moment. Isaiah actually a couple times uh, throughout his prophecy uses this illustration of clay and the potter. Um, almost always in a negative sense. Uh, Isaiah chapter 29, starting in verse 15. Here we see God addresses this very attitude uh, in Israel. He says in verse 15, Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? That the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me. Or the thing formed, say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. 
That was the attitude of, of Israel. Here, you know, we're, we're uh, following our own evil desires, but nobody sees us. Nobody knows us. Uh, is that not the sentiment of this present age as well? Nobody is going to hold us accountable. We, we live the way that, that we want to live. He says, you've turned things upside down. We've regarded the potter as the clay. In society, we, we, we've come up with this idea that, that we created God. That when we looked at you know, the, the raging seas and when we saw the volcanoes and when we saw the thunder and the lightning, that we needed to explain what all of that was. And so we came up with this idea of God. He says, you've turned things around. I'm not the clay. <laughs> you are. He is the one with the understanding. He is the one with the wisdom. He is the one alone who can tell us what we were meant to be. What's our purpose here in life? Well, we need to ask the one who put us here. We need to ask the one that created us. Can you envision this illustration here in Isaiah 29? You know, you're working with this piece of clay, and the clay says, wait, 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 wait. You don't know what you're doing. You didn't make me. How ridiculous is that image? And yet, is that what we're doing? Is that our attitude? Frankly, brethren, that has been each and every one of our attitudes. When we take control of our own life, when we walk after the dictates of our own heart and our own desires, we're taking control of something that is supposed to be in God's control. Our lives are not our own. They are his. And so if we want to understand the point of this illustration, we first need to understand that we are spoiled and ruined. And with the attitudes expressed here in Isaiah 29 and Romans 3, no wonder we're spoiled and ruined. Because we are not qualified to mold ourselves. But this is, or at least can be, a message of comfort. We can be safe. We can be saved in the hands of the potter. Remember, God says there in verse 6, Behold, like the clay in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. What did that potter do with the clay? Well, he took it in its ruined and flawed and spoiled state, and he remolded it. God is telling him, I have the power to remold you, to remake you, to heal all of the, the, the ruin that you have created in your own life. God is able to remold us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 17, from a New Testament context, uh, context, we see it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It doesn't matter how deeply spoiled or marred we are by sin. God is able to wipe all of that away. He is able to remold that, to take old things away, to bring a new creation, a new masterpiece in its place. All hints of our prior ruin can be erased by the glory of this new creation that God is able to work within us. And we see this in the context of uh, the Corinthian church. We, we've been studying 1 Corinthians. We're going to eventually get to chapter 6 where we see that he goes through a list 
of those who will not inherit the kingdom, of adulterers and idolaters and homosexuals and thieves and drunkards. And he says, such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. That was the old man, but God created something new within them. It doesn't matter how deeply uh, marred we have been by sin. We can be created anew, clean and holy. We can be washed, sanctified, and justified. Look in Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, uses this illustration of God's workmanship, of God's masterpiece. Starting in verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's not our doing. We're not able to fix ourselves. We are not able to act as the potter of our own lives. We're not able to fix what we've broken. But God is. By his grace, says we are his workmanship, his artistry, his masterpiece. And we, we see that, you know, this does require a response from us. Uh, it's grace through faith. We have to fully uh, rely upon him. We have to fully trust in him, fully turn over our lives. And we'll talk about this idea of allowing ourselves to be molded by him. But it's not our doing. No, these works that we are to do, it says created in Christ Jesus for good works. We didn't create it. God created it. And we're allowing him to accomplish his creation within our life. Look in Ephesians chapter 4 later on. Ephesians chapter 4 starting verse 22 He says, uh, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, there is something required on our part. We're we're, uh, involved in this process of taking off the old man, putting on the new man. But where did that new man come from? It says it was created in Christ Jesus. I didn't create it. You didn't create it. God is the one who has the power to recreate. And this new man that we have been given the the privilege and the grace of putting on, it's by his work. He alone is the one who is able to remold. And he's remolding us, you notice there in verse 24, created after the likeness of God, remolding his image and his character within us. God can make us new, can make all things new. And his hands are abundantly qualified. His hands have the power to guide and to protect us. Look back in Isaiah this time we're going to look at Isaiah 45. This illustration is used once again. Isaiah 45, we're going to look at verse 9 through 12. 
Starting in verse 9, again, this is uh, an image of rebuke. He says in verse 9, Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among the earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or your work has no handles. Woe to him who says to a father, What are you begetting? Or to a woman, What are you in labor? Uh, Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and the one who formed him, Ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children the work of my hands? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their hosts. So we see the same attitude of rebellion in verse 9 and 10. The one who's striving with his maker, saying um, there in, in verse 9, what are you making? Or the ESV says, your work has no handles. Many versions say, you have no hands. Um, can, can you imagine the, the, the clay sitting there on the, on the potter's wheel saying, you, you have no hands? <laughs> really? I'm pretty sure it's the clay that doesn't have any hands. And God goes on to show why he is abundantly qualified to mold them. He says, ask of me uh, of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? What, What is the work of his hands? They are the work of his hands. What else in verse 12? He says, I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their hosts. Psalm 19 and verse 1 says, The heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Imagine for a moment that you wanted to hire uh, a sculptor or an artist to make some piece of art for you. Do you think you maybe you might want to look at some of their other work, you know, to see if, if this is the person that you want to hire. What, what if they came along and said, well, look, look up at the night sky. I created that. Look, look at the sunset. I created that. Look at the very earth on which you're standing. Look at all the plants and trees and animals. Look at your very body. I created that. Do we think God has no hands? Do we think God's not abundantly qualified? Whereas we have no capability of molding our own lives, God is more capable than we can fathom to be the potter of our lives. Look earlier in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. Look what God says about his power and his hands here. Uh, Isaiah 40 begins the section of comfort in Isaiah. Comfort, oh comfort my people. And in verse 10 and 11, he continues this idea of comfort. He says in verse 10, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So verse 10 and 11, we have this picture. God is going to comfort his people. He's going to gather them together with his arms. What does he immediately go on to say in verse 12? Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand 
and marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Why is it that we can find such great comfort in knowing that God's arm is going to come and gather us, that he is going to tend us as a shepherd? Well, because God is abundantly qualified to do that. God's hand says, holds the waters in the hollow of his hand, the oceans, the seas, that, that we can stand at the edge of and, and, uh, and, and see the, the grandeur of its power, of its expanse that we can't reach the bottom of. God holds it like a few little droplets would be in our hand. God measures the heavens with a span. A span was the distance from your thumb to your pinky. The the heavens, outer space that our telescopes can't reach the edge of, God measures it between his thumb and his pinky. The mountains, the hills, and a balance and scales. Imagine God holding Everest in his measuring cup. That's the God who is asking us to let him mold us. How foolish it is for us who have nothing but brokenness to show for our work to want to take control of our lives. Now God is the one who has all power to make us into what he created us to be. And so we can find comfort, we can find safety, we can find salvation, and God's power to remold, to recreate us. But ultimately, what that requires, and what I think maybe the primary message of Jeremiah 18 is, is that we submit to the hands of the potter. When God asks, can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? In a sense, the answer is yes, of course he can. But will you let him? Will you let me mold you as this potter has molded this spoiled clay? Unfortunately for Israel, the answer was no. What is the answer for us? We must allow God to mold our lives. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse 6 and 7. And this is a message of comfort. But it also requires something from us. First Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. There we see the mighty hand of God. He has the power and he has the care. He cares for us. But what's required? If we want his hand to lift us up, what's required if we want to find comfort in his arms? We must humble ourselves before the Lord. We can't continue to walk after our own wisdom and our own strength trying to mold our own life. We need to recognize that we are utterly incapable before him. We need to cast all of our cares, all of our anxieties upon him, giving our lives over to his hand if we want to find that comfort and that strength. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 5. 
Here we read, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. How is it that our paths are going to be made straight? How is it that we're going to find refreshment uh, and healing for our bodies? It's by trusting in the Lord with all our heart, acknowledging him in all our ways, fearing the Lord, letting him direct our lives. In every aspect of our life, we need to surrender to God's guidance. There can't be some corner of our life, some back room that we're, we're saying, well, God, I'll, I'll submit all of these things to you. But, you know, this little part over here, um, I, I really like to just kind of keep control of that. And he says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Remember we read in Jeremiah 10, verse 23, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his own steps. Do you know what Jeremiah goes on to say in that passage? Acknowledging that we are incapable of directing our own steps. In verse 24, he says, correct me, O Lord, but with justice, not in your anger, or you will bring me to nothing. That should be the natural response. When we recognize our own incapability to direct our steps, the natural response is, God, I need your correction. I need you to remold me, to show me where I'm wrong. I need you to direct my steps. Is that our prayer? Is that our daily prayer? That God would show us where we're wrong? You know, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, we often read, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I think sometimes uh, when, when we look at that, we, we see the reproof and the correction, and we think, well, you know, that, that's for other people. <laughs> They need the reproof and the correction. I'd like to just kind of stick with the instruction and stick with the teaching. No, if God's word is going to make me complete, that means I need to get serious about allowing it to correct me and allowing it to reprove me. That needs to be a a daily part of what I'm seeking to allow God's word to do in my life. James chapter 1 describes God's word as a mirror that we're to look into intently and not go away unchanged, but go away and make application of it to our lives. If we recognize the, the utter insufficiency of our own ability and the tremendous, magnificent qualifications of God's hands to mold our lives, that means I need to day by day be looking for God to change me, to make me into a better reflection of his character, of his workmanship. So often, it's easy for us to want to mold God's word to our own life. We need to mold our lives day by day according to God's word. Because, brethren, if we don't, 
will be subject to the wrath of God's hands. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30 and 31. We read, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Wait a second. I I thought God's hands were a comforting thing, right? He he holds us in his hands. Uh, Those hands that have such power are there to, to tend us like a shepherd. Well, yes, it can be comfort. But if we're not willing to submit to him, then it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I think about Revelation chapter 1. Remember when John the Apostle saw this vision of the, the glorified Lord? It says in verse 17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. There we see some comfort of God's right hand, of Jesus reaching out with his right hand to comfort John. But if John, just at the sight of the glory of the Lord, fell down as a dead man, can can you imagine if that right hand was not reaching out to comfort, but was reaching out to judge? How more fearful would that be? That doesn't have to be our perspective. That doesn't have to be our experience of God's hands. But we need a healthy respect, a healthy reverence and awe of God's power to judge. Because the hands that parted the Red Sea, the hands that created the world, the hands that have delivered God's people time and time again are also the hands that sent the ten plagues. The hands that swallowed Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. The hands that struck dead Nadab and Abihu and Ananias and Sapphira. The power of God's hands can either be a comfort or a fear to us. Isaiah chapter 30. If you want to turn back there, we see this illustration of of pottery once again. Look what God says in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 12 through 14. Verse 12, therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them, therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly and in an instant, and its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found with which to take fire from the hearth or to dip up water out of the cistern. You know, the clay that's still moldable can be remolded. But the clay that has been hardened, he says, is going to be smashed so ruthlessly that not a single uh, fragment could be found to be of any use. We see the same idea in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 18 was the picture of the potter and the clay. Jeremiah 19 is the potter of the broken, uh, the, the picture of the broken flask. 
Jeremiah 19, verse 10 and 11 says, Then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you, and shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, So I will break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel, so that it can never be mended. Men shall bury in Topheth, because there will be no place else to bury. Brethren, one day we will no longer have a chance to let God mold us anew. Uh, one day we'll, we'll be hardened ultimately by, by the kiln of death, where there's no more chance to submit. There's no more chance to surrender our lives to him. If we have the Israel of uh, the attitude of Israel uh, there back in chapter 18, verse 12, saying it is vain, we will follow our own plans, we can be assured that we will be judged, that we will be shattered, that we will be destroyed. But that's not now. <laughs> that's not this moment. It may be tonight, it may be tomorrow, maybe next week, it may be 10 years, 20 years, who knows. But this very moment, we have a chance to submit to God's hands, to find the comfort and the peace and the, the recreation that God has promised. If we will fully surrender the idea of, of guiding our own steps and fully allow him to direct us, to mold us in every aspect and in every way, God can make us into his masterpiece and to something that shines forth his glory. What about you today? Are you willing to allow God to mold you? We come back to Jeremiah 18 and verse 6. Oh, Grady Huggins, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. Oh, Grady. We are like the clay in the potter's hands. We're spoiled. We're marred. But God has the power, unquestionably, and the desire to remold us and remake us. Will you let him do that today? If you recognize there's some area in your life that you have not been surrendering to the Lord, that you have been molding all on your own without his direction and influence, without his control, won't you surrender that to him today? If you need to confess some sins of a public nature and ask for God's forgiveness, we'll pray with you. God is faithful and just. He's merciful and gracious to forgive. And if you've never surrendered your life to the Lord, won't you do that now? He's abundantly qualified to be the potter of your life. If there's any way that we can help you in your relationship with the Lord, won't you make it known to us by coming forward as we stand and sing together?